I want my son back. Welcome to Quarantinema, a.k.a. Quarantinema, a.k.a. Quarantine Enema, the only podcast where we don't know how to say the name of the show. My name is Connor Sullivan. Thank you all for listening. Uh, boy, the world really sucks right now, doesn't it? Uh, it's, I don't know. It's not one thing, it's another. I've, you know, a lot of terrible things going on right now, so we're going to do our best uh, here to kind of... Uh, get your mind off things going on. Sorry to lead off the show, <laughs> to lead up the show with reminding you that things suck. But uh, this, the point of this uh, podcast is uh, supposed to be fun uh, for us. Obviously, there's you know, there there's a lot of serious stuff going on. That being said, you know we're uh, you know I just want to make people laugh by doing this. Uh, I got into this podcast because um, uh, before. Uh, the the COVID stuff happens, which <laughs> seems like a you know a millennium ago now. Uh, before the COVID stuff happens, I was a stand comedian, and that was my creative outlet, and this that was how I just like got up and performed and tried to make people laugh and uh, do all that stuff. And then when COVID uh, shutdown happened, uh, that got taken away from me. So this is kind of how I've been uh, using that outlet, or at least trying to. So uh, you know, I appreciate all the nice words. Uh, from people. So with all that being said, uh, let's. why don't we just get right into it. Uh, we're going to talk about a movie called Changeling today, uh, which in, you know, in the midst of everything going on right now, uh, we probably could use something that would cheer us up, and uh, this was certainly not the movie to do it. <laughs> uh, if you're not familiar with the movie, which I think of all the movies in my collection, this might be one that a lot of people aren't. Changeling is a story about a woman named Christine Collins. Uh, she's played by Angelina Jolie. And uh, basically her son, uh, go, it takes place in the 1920s in Los Angeles. Uh, her son goes missing, and the LAPD uh, spends a couple of months working on the case. They find a boy, uh, and they claim it's her son. They bring her back to her, and she claims it's not her son. And then this whole rabbit hole, uh, or yeah, this whole clusterfuck ensues. The LAPD denies that, you know, they're saying that it is the right boy, you know, she's lying. Meanwhile, she's insistent that it's not her son, which we know it's not. Uh, She gets thrown in a mental institution against her will uh, by the LAPD. And meanwhile, there's this whole other, it almost seems like there's two movies going on. Uh, There's this whole other plot with uh, uh, this killer, serial killer named uh, Gordon Stewart Northcott. And speaking uh, real quick, uh, does he do you do people go like do do people who become famous for murdering people do they traditionally go by their full name like middle name included or is that just after they kill somebody they get the middle name slapped on there I don't know I don't know just something to think about Uh, you know uh, Lee Harvey Oswald uh, for example. You know, was he was he always a middle name guy, or was it just after you know he killed a guy? I don't know. Uh, just food for thought. Uh, so anyway, so uh, then there's this whole other plot with um, Gordon Stewart Northcott and uh, what is what became famously known as uh, the Wineville Chicken Coop killings. Um, and basically, he uh, is a serial child abductor and murderer, and he uh, made his nephew help him out with it. And the two stories kind of collide um, at, in the middle. You know, it's later revealed that Walter was one of the boys that he abducted. So, if so facto, Walter uh, got taken by Gordon Stewart Northcott, and that's what—that's the movie's version of this. We'll get into that in a little bit, uh, but I want to talk about the movie itself uh, 
first, but so later on in the episode, uh, I'm gonna get a little true crimey on you guys, uh, which I hey, I love true crime stuff. I love documentaries and podcasts and all that stuff. So uh, after reading or after watching this movie, I went down an internet rabbit hole of the uh, the Wineville chicken coop killings, and uh, boy howdy, that was well, we got some stuff to talk about. Uh, so anyway, the movie itself, uh, it was directed by Clint Eastwood, uh, came out in 2008, also stars uh, Amy Ryan, John Malkovich, who I, I've been on a John Mal- like an accidental John Malkovich kick recently. Uh, I started, like we did Burn After Reading a couple episodes ago, I, I just started watching Space Force, that show on Netflix. I don't think it's deserving the hate that it's getting right now, I've laughed at it, uh, I, I don't think it's... You know this. I mean, I think it's it's definitely not living up to its potential right now. That's for sure. But that being said, it's not terrible. You know, I I've chuckled. I, I've laughed. Uh, the show. Um, movies also got uh, Michael Kelly from House of Cards. Who, uh, if you've ever seen House of Cards, uh, his performance on there is one of the great supporting roles. And uh, you know, in, among supporting characters in the 21st century, I think uh, David Stamper's got to be right up there. Uh, Michael Kelly is just perfect in that show. That it's a bummer that you know Kevin Spacey had to go and fuck up everything. Otherwise, you know that could have been one of the great shows of all time, uh, but it unfortunately just kind of dwindled uh, in its last couple of seasons. Uh, and it's also got Jason Butler Horner, who uh, he plays Gordon Stewart Northcott. Um, you might recognize him from Ozark. He's that corrupt FBI agent guy. Uh, and Jeffrey Donovan. Yeah, Jeffrey Donovan. I'm surprised we don't see him in more stuff. Um, he's a he's an awesome bad guy. Um, so I admit I've never seen Burn Notice. That's probably what he's most known for. Um, he's great in this movie, and I, I feel like I mention this almost every episode. But I, I I've been rewatching Fargo. I'm only doing like an episode a night. That's why it's taking so long. Uh, but Jeffrey Donovan plays uh, one of the main guys in the second season, and. He's just so fucking good. He na- he nails uh, the accent, the uh, you know North Dakota tough guy thing he's got going on. Just great, great performance by him. I'd like to see more of him. Uh, he's also in Sicario, which one of the best like under the radar movies ever. I feel like not a lot of people talk about Sicario and what a just fucking awesome masterpiece that movie is. Uh, but we'll get we'll get into that one down the road. I don't ha- have it in the collection, but I got some. Denis Villeneuve, Villeneuve, I don't know how to say his name. Uh, I have uh, pr- we, we have prisoners coming down the road, so uh, we'll talk about it then. Overall, I actually really enjoyed this movie. I, w- I wasn't really looking forward to watching because I knew it's a little depressing, and obviously the last thing we all want right now is uh, to fuel depression. Uh, but no, I was I, I was pleasantly surprised. I I completely forgot what a good movie this is. Um, Angelina Jolie does great in it. She's uh, nominated for an Oscar, rightfully so. Uh, a lot of great supporting performances uh, in there, I think. Uh, you know, no one really sticks out as, you know, there should have been an Oscar or anything like that, but just a lot. It's very, very good movie. Clint Eastwood kills it in this movie, and Clint Eastwood, like, he's never in the conversation, I feel like, when you talk about, like, the elite directors in Hollywood. Like, you're talking about, like, big names. You got your Quentin Tarantinos, your uh, your Martin Scorsese's, your James Camerons, and uh, just, I don't know. I feel like Clint Eastwood always gets overlooked uh, for this kind of Steven Spielberg. Like, 
Eastwood's just like in the mid 2000s like he was on a fucking heater 2003 he does Mystic River and he's and like he had been directing movies obviously for a long time before this he had won an Oscar for Unforgiven 1992 but he had been directing his own movies since the 70s uh but like the mid 2000s like he was I think he was the guy like I don't know who had a better streak in movies as efficiently as he did during this time. Uh, 2003, Mystic River. 2004, Million Dollar Baby. 2006, Flags, Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima. They came out pretty much one after the other. Not easy to do two features in a year. And very cool concept to see what he did. You know, just the same uh, story from t- uh, a war story told from both sides. Uh, Letters from Iwo Jima got more praise. Uh, that was the side from the you know the movie told from the Japanese point of view, uh, and Flags of Our Fathers obviously uh, a good movie as well. Actually, those those I gotta watch both of those again. Those are really good movies that I feel like no one ever talks about. Uh, but very cool concept. Uh, two years later, two thousand eight. Not only does he do Changeling, but he does Gran Torino in the same year. Gran Torino is I think his best. I, I think it's his most entertaining movie. It's one of uh, it's a great TNT we know drama hall of famer I think we uh, we haven't really brought one of those up in a while but if it's on TV and it's on TV a lot like yeah I'll watch it I'll I have no problem passing it in and out of Gran Torino I absolutely love that movie uh, and then 2009 he does Invictus uh, another big hit and then he, that's that's when he starts to cool off a little bit 2010 hereafter 11 J Edgar. 14, he did Jersey Boys and American Sniper, which was ve- which was very good. Um, little, it's got it's got an asterisk on it for, uh, because of some of the creative liberties it took. But hey, we've discussed this a lot lately. We know I'm not a when it comes to creative liberties. As long just if it, if it really benefits the movie, fine, and doesn't bend the truth a crazy amount, fine. Uh, and then 16, Sully, waste of a good movie title. Uh, 2018, he did another two movies, 1517 to Paris and The Mule, both pretty forgettable. And then last year he did Richard Jewell, which was really, really good, I thought. Uh, but yeah, so that mid-2000s run he was on from 2003 to 2009, like, he, he did uh, basically a movie a year, and they were all really, really good. So, I don't know. Uh, Clint Eastwood, I think, deserves more credit uh, for being a, just a, a big director in... In the 21st century, I, I just feel like he's never in that conversation. But watching this, uh, you know, looking back on it, it was, I was I'm glad to see. Now I'm glad that like I see that and I can realize it now and uh, really start to appreciate it. Uh, so yeah, we're this is a pro Clint Eastwood podcast. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the crime itself because this is a I find this very interesting. So. Uh, I, I pulled this from the Did You Know, but it's like several paragraphs long, so uh, I'm not, it's from the Did You Knows, but we'll, we'll get into the Did You Knows in a little bit. Um, so at the beginning of the episode, I gave you a brief synopsis of uh, what happened in the movie, and we'll kind of touch on that here. So, uh, so what I'm about to go into, and there are some spoilers in here, well, I've already told you the fucking end of the movie, so, you know, whatever. Uh, so there are some spoilers in here, but this is what I'm about to read is a more accurate account of what actually happened with the crime. So we'll talk about um, creative liberties and stuff like that afterwards, as well as 
you know, a couple other things, but to me, this is just the tr the true crime uh, part of it, which I found so fascinating, and it was it was actually fun to go down this rabbit hole. As awful as, <laughs> as that sounds, it was really fun. Uh, bear with me here; I'm just going to read right through it, and it's several paragraphs. So, hold on to your butts. The movie omits several real life real life aspects of the Walter Collins case, probably for the sake of clarity and running time. In this movie, LAPD detective Lester Ibarra, played by Michael Kelly. More or less stumbles upon Gordon Stewart Northcott, played by Justin Butler Harner, uh, his case while he is following up on a lead concerning an illegal immigrant, played by uh, an illegal immigrant, Sanford Clark, played by Eddie Alderson. In reality, Clark's sister and uh, Sanford Clark is like thirteen, by the way. Uh, in reality, Clark's sister had once visited uh, her brother in Northcott's ranch where she learned what Northcott had done and how he forced Sanford to cooperate in the murders. After returning to Canada, she warned the authorities who tipped off the LAPD. The LAPD then had Immigration Service check the murder story, largely under the pretense of an immigration issue. Gordon Stewart Northcott saw two Immigration Service agents coming to his ranch and fled before they arrived. He told his nephew Sanford Clark uh, that he would be hiding in a nearby tree line, threatening to shoot the boy from afar if he didn't stall the agents. Clark actually managed to do that for two hours before he felt comfortable enough to trust the two agents, feeling that Northcott had been bluffing and was long gone. The movie omits North Gore Northcott's mother, Sarah Louise, who was the only person convicted of murdering Walter Collins. She had confessed to the murder, but later retracted her confession. She was sentenced to life imprisonment, but was only paroled after less than 12 years in prison. Gordon Northcott was convicted and hanged for the murders of the Winslow brothers, 10 and 12 years old, and the headless Mexican found on the side of the road near La Puerta, California, but not the murder of Walter Collins since his mother had already, had already confessed to that. Christine Collins waited four days to call the police about Walter's disappearance. She initially thought his abduction was connected to her husband, who was serving a term for armed robbery in Folsom Prison. The movie explains that the husband had simply walked away before Walter's birth because he couldn't handle the responsibility of being a father. When she was finally convinced, neither her husband nor any of his criminal associates had anything to do with Walter, Walter's disappearance, she notified the authorities. Walter did not disappear while Christine was working on a Saturday. In reality, she gave him a dime to go to the movies, and he never came home. Christine Collins did not witness Northcott's execution. She spent the morning uh, in the house of San Quentin's warden with the mother of the Winslow brothers. The movie never explains why Arthur J. Hutchins impersonated the real Walter Collins, entertained the possibility that the LAPD had coerced the boy in, into doing it. Okay, so a lot to uh, dissect there. Um, so obviously if you've seen the movie, you can kind of pick apart a couple of the big omissions there. The biggest one being um, that uh, Sarah Louise, Gordon Northcott's real mother, uh, is never mentioned in the movie. Uh, and she's the one in real life who was convicted of uh, killing Walter Collins. And the, uh, in the movie, it is implied that not only was uh, Gordon Northcott convicted of that, uh, he was also executed for that, and uh, three other murders as well. Uh, the Winslow boys uh, are also mentioned, or they're like alluded to in the movie, but they don't really go into who they were. Uh, and the quote, headless Mexican, that's never really addressed in the movie. Um, and I 
briefly read about it, uh, and I think they were, and it's not mentioned here, but uh, in some of my other reading, I believe uh, Sanford Clark had uh, admitting to helping uh, with with the execution with that. So basically, Gordon, uh, he was also uh, there. Are also allegations about him being a, a child molester and uh, you know stuff like that. So he basically he would abduct these boys. Uh, and we see this in the movie. He would take Sanford with him in the car. He'd uh, basically just find boys by themselves and then tell them to get in the car, tell them that like, something happened to their parents or something like that, uh, bring them back to the ranch, and then God knows what happens to them after that. Uh, so there's no definitive number of you know, body. We don't know the, the real number of people that he, uh, he actually killed. We know he was convicted of three. Uh, and the movie implies uh, that Walter Collins was among them, but in reality, he's not. And uh, basically, when they found when when authorities got to uh, the ranch and they were digging up all the bodies, the bodies were cut up, so it was difficult to tell exactly how many bodies uh, there were, who you know what parts belonged to what, and j- just gruesome, gruesome stuff. Sorry to get all <laughs> bloody with you guys here, but uh, the, I don't know. This stuff is just really interesting to me. Regarding the mother, okay, I get why they didn't include her in the movie because from a for dramatic purposes, it's a lot easier to just explain like okay, like it's one guy, like one one guy did all this stuff, uh, and not presumably an old lady. So I, I understand why they did that. It's a and. Quick little background: Ron Howard is producer on this movie, and Ron Howard's gotten in trouble a couple times for uh, bending the truth in a story and omitting certain details. I th- this one's tough because, like, the, dramatically speaking, it makes sense to simplify the story to just one person. But when it, with a case as famous as this one, and this is this is a very famous, well-documented case, in a case as well known as this one, it's a little. I don't know, it's a little much to com- just completely omit the person that was actually convicted of killing Walter Collins. I don't know. It's... I, I th- it, it is a long movie as it is. It's about 2.20. So ma- maybe it was in the original script and they cut it out to kind of keep it under that three-hour margin. Because if you added a major character like that, it would take up a lot of screen time. And this movie, it runs long. It's 2.20 and it feels longer than that. It's a little slow at certain points. Um, I'm particularly more interested in the uh, the murder aspect of this, not so much the uh, the LAPD covering up stuff. Isn't it fun to be talking about police, you know, covering up each other? Isn't, isn't that fun? Um, uh, no, it's not. This, uh, but uh, but we're gonna keep going. Uh, some of the other things uh, in that piece. Oh, okay, so I want to talk about Christine Collins and what how it was depicted in the movie and what actually happened. So, in the movie, uh, she's called in the work Saturday morning. She has to go in and she tells Walter she's going to come home and they're going to go to a movie later. Uh, but when she comes home, Walter's gone and they never see her again. She calls the police that night. Like, she searches the neighborhood. Uh, there's no mention of a husband or any other, uh, you know, criminal associates, things like that. Um, and she call she calls the police that night to report a missing child, uh, but the police say no. You got to call back in the morning. It hasn't been twenty four hours yet. Uh, which 
Don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that's not a thing. I think you can report a missing child anytime. Like, there doesn't have to be a... I don't, I don't think there has to be, like, a, a time limit. Uh, but either way. But in reality, she waited four days. Uh, you know, that's not good. <laughs> uh, she clearly took things into her own hands. Uh, dramatically speaking, it, uh, and this is like pretty much right near the beginning of the movie. So, uh, within the first like five or ten minutes, like this is set up uh, for us, so we immediately kind of know what's going on. Um, omitting the husband, I get that he doesn't really play a role in, in, the, in much of the story going forward. Uh, so, I get that. And if if you show in the movie that Christine actually waited four days to call the police then it would, it would make her look like a bad mother because a lot of people are, are watching this thing like, why haven't you called the police yet? Uh, but, you know, that's what actually happened and I, I, I like what the movie did with that. Uh, at least it establishes Christine as... Oh, I don't know if relatable is the right word, but it, it, it makes her a character that uh, we're... It makes it easier to empathize, empathize <laughs> uh, with her. So... If it's for the story, I get it. Uh, I'm more okay with the beginning one getting omitted than the, uh, the leaving out the mom. I think you could you could at least add a supporting character. I think, and instead of just omitting her completely. And what and the last one I want to talk about, uh, Arthur uh, Arthur J. Hutchins. So the boy that they that the LAPD found, uh, they found him in DeKalb, Illinois. He was basically living with, I don't know, he was traveling with a drifter, uh, and the drifter told him uh, about Hollywood and California and, like, there's all stuff, and that he kind of looks like the Walter Collins boy, because uh, Walter Collins' disappearance was a national story at this point, and this is, like, several months after uh, the story had begun. Uh, so, he, this little boy, and it's this is never mentioned in the movie, he's basically running away from his stepmother, uh, in real life he was, so he's running away from his stepmother, and he basically was on the run to get away from his family and his, I think his real parents died when he was young and his stepmother was abusive and all that stuff um, and they kind of mention this in the movie but it's not really uh, so basically this, this kid saw an opportunity to get to California and he the reason why he went to Los Angeles was because he wanted to meet uh, his favorite movie star <laughs> which that's, it sounds so innocent, but it's just, like, one more bizarre thing in such a fucked up, uh, an already fucked up story. He wanted to uh, meet his idol, Tom Mix, who, I admit I don't know who that is, but just a, one more weird detail in what's a really, really crazy story, so. Okay, so I'm going to get off my true crime uh, soapbox here, I think. That, that was just cool to read about for me, uh, if you don't. Uh agree, then that's your prerogative. Uh, so we're going to get into the did you knows here. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on them. Um, first up, Clint Eastwood agreed to direct this movie the same afternoon that he read the script for the first time. Uh, so we mentioned Clint Eastwood was on a hot streak uh, when he made this movie, and one thing that he's known for as a director, at least behind the scenes, is being able to work very efficiently. Uh, obviously, I mean, he cranks movie. He's 90 now. I think he just turned 90. And he still cranks movies out, you know, every year or, or two years at this point. 
and he you know when he gets on set he doesn't really do a lot of takes pretty much he just waits until they get it right and that's it but if it's a performance he like from the technical stuff like as, as long as everything is working the way it should he's fine with it and the actors he pretty much just lets them go they do like one take and then that's it so a very quick way of doing things and clearly he's you know guy's getting old he's not going to be able to direct for much longer so he wants to work as fast as he can uh s- Second, did you know, Hilary Swank and Reese Witherspoon lobbied for the role of Christine Collins. Clint Eastwood cast Angelina Jolie at the suggestion of producer Ron Howard, who noted that Jolie's, quote, look would fit best with the time period. It's an interesting note. I think Hilary Swank would have done really well uh, with this one. I think, I don't know about Reese Witherspoon. it's, It's hard for me to picture her in this, at least at that time in her career, she's just so, like, peppy. It'd be, uh, and just, I, I don't know. Uh, Angelina Jolie, I think they nailed the casting with Angelina Jolie. Would have liked to see Hilary Swank. I don't know about Reese Witherspoon, though. Uh, okay, and uh, third, did you know, going back to some of the crime stuff, uh, the fate of Sanford Clark, the 13-year-old boy who was forced by his uncle to participate in the murders, is not mentioned... Uh, the fate of him is not mentioned in the movie. Uh, after leading the police to the bodies at his uncle's farm, Clark was sentenced to five years at Whittier Boys School in California. Uh, a sympathetic L.A. district attorney, Loyal Kelly, that's an awesome name for a lawyer, uh, later had Clark's sentence reduced to 23 months after the school reported that Clark had showed promising job skills and a genuine desire to reform. Clark returned to Canada, where he served in the Canadian military during World War II, and later worked as a mailman for 28 years. He married, adopted and raised two children, and served local community causes throughout his life. Sanford Clark died in 1991. So I'm glad to see someone at least got a happy ending out of all this. Uh, Very bizarre life uh, for Sanford Clark, that's for sure. Uh, One thing I was curious about, it says he adopted two kids, but like he's a convicted accomplished a murder like isn't that I don't know it's Canada maybe they're just a little more trustworthy anyway that's going to wrap it up for this one guys Uh, thank you all for listening Um, go watch this movie this one it's if you have access to it I don't think it's on any major streaming services Uh, but if you get a chance to watch Changeling give it a watch it's it's really really fucking good Uh, and uh, again thank you all for listening hope we were able to you know preoccupy you for a little bit, get your mind off things. Uh, That's uh, really the point of what we're trying to do here. Uh, So remember, don't be a hero, stay inside, and watch a movie.